Good morning. My name is Erin, and I have the privilege of reading from God's Word this morning. So would you please join me in standing as we read his Word. We're reading from the book of 1 Samuel, verses 1 through 18, in chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, Here's my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? Thank you. You can have a seat. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? And Logan, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to make you come up and do something today. So I'll put these down here, actually. That's coming up later. So... As we begin week two of our, our series, Before You Hit Send, last week we talked about truth. I won't ask for a show of hands for how many of you actually tried to remember our memory verse from last week. Let's try that. Uh, just put it up here. Uh, now this is where it gets easy. It's going to get a little, if you are here first time, we love you and we're glad that you're here. You get a pass this morning. But those of you who were here last week, uh, you don't. Sorry. It's a teacher coming out to me. And let's, let's say it together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me turn the heat up just a little bit. Next slide, please. Okay, this is the Iwana days coming out in me. Okay, you go ahead. 
one more degree. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Some of you are just moving your lips. That's all you're doing. <laughs> you ever been at a conversation that uh, suddenly turned quite awkward? So I'm sitting in the school auditorium waiting for my, my son to, for his play to, to be on. And Beck and I sit down next to this older lady and we ask her, you know, just strike a conversation with her and said, so are you here to watch one of your grandchildren play in the play? And she said, no, actually, she said, several of these students in the play are my, are my Sunday school students. I said, oh, Sunday school, okay. I said, uh, where do you go to church? She named the church, and I said, oh, I just met the pastor that week. And I said, that's a good church. And I said, you're a really good pastor. She said, yeah, we really love our pastor. She said, where do you go to church? And I said, Community Alliance. And she said, oh, I've heard about that church. And she said, they're having some troubles there, aren't they? And I said, yeah, but they're, they're working on it. I heard they had to fire their pastor. I said, yeah, they, they did, but they got a new pastor. And she said, yeah, I've heard about him too. And, uh, and, and so I'm thinking, okay, where is this conversation going? And she said, I've heard he's a really good preacher, but he's just not a good pastor. And she says, what do you think about him? And I said, I am he. And it took her one 1,000, two 1,000, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, she said, I didn't, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to say that. It's like, in my heart, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you did. Because that's the way in which she learned to speak. And if we're not careful, and I challenge you on this, because last week I know that there were opportunities that you had to tell the truth. And we talked about last week to, about talking and saying the truth. Is it true? Is what I'm going to say next, is it the truth? And I know that God gave you opportunities this week to speak the truth. And this week, you'll have, you'll have many opportunities of, will is what I'm going to think, is what I'm going to say about that person, is it kind? And next week, we get to talk about, is it necessary? And by the time we get to next week, you're going to say, well, what is it that can actually come out of my mouth? <laughs> yeah. That's why I've said this series is so powerful because it has, the po it has the potential to change the landscape of our families. It has the potential to change the landscape of our businesses and of a church. You think about it. If we begin to look at people in a different way, if we begin to speak in a way where our words are, are true, our words are kind, and the words are necessary, it can really change the way in which relationships go forward. And, and this morning we're going to take a deep dive into King David. And we're look at his life, we're going to look at his life through the lens of three people. Because God sends three people into David's life to, to test him, to see where his heart is at. And God tests us, doesn't he? God uses all kinds of tools in our life to, to see what kind of a heart do we have. You know, he'll he'll send, and sorry, this is all I got, guys. Going to Hong Kong, I gave all my tools away to my to my oldest son as part of his inheritance. And so this is all I got. But God sends tools into our life, doesn't he? And the thing of it is with the tools, we can say, well, you know, I didn't learn any lesson from that. But God just takes out a bigger tool, doesn't he? He takes out a bigger tool. He, he doesn't stop. And God works in the life of David, and he uses three tools. I'm going to leave this little tool out here because I know, not even you, Corey, know what that tool is. I know you don't. 
Your challenge accepted. You won't get this one. I know that. But God uses tools in our lives, and if we don't get the lesson the first time, he doesn't stop working in our lives. He just pulls out a bigger tool. And the tools in David's life that he's going to use are King Saul, a guy by the name of Nabal, and another guy later on in his reign by the name of Shammai. And what God is looking for in David's life is the same thing that God is looking for in our lives. Will we have a heart after King Saul, or will we have a heart after King David? A heart that longs to do what God wanted him to do. And so we begin this morning as we, as we look at, at, at this series, and we begin in verse, in, I'm not, don't put up the first, um, don't put up the first, uh, you know, fill in the blank yet, but go ahead and put up uh, chapter 18, verse 7. It says, as they danced, Saul said, they sang, Saul is slain his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. And they have, they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought. But me, with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. David is at a very, very popular place in his, in his life right now. Uh, Goliath has been killed. Everything that David does turns to gold. I mean, the Lord is with David in a very powerful way. And this is Old Testament now. So the Lord had left King Saul at this time. And King Saul is afraid. Everybody loves David. I mean, everybody loves David. Even, David, even Saul's um, son, Jonathan. And Saul's daughter is in love with David as well. Everybody, everything David touches turns to gold. And the women come out and they sing this little ditty. David, or, uh, Saul is slain his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. What's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. This wasn't a slam on Saul at all. This was a ditty that was commonly sung at when, when people came out. The only thing was they put Saul's name first and David's name second. It wasn't attributing anything more than what should have been to David or to Saul. But where do things often begin in our hearts? I just gave it away. Where do things often begin? They begin in our hearts, don't they? Because look at Saul's response. This refrain did what? It galled him. It angered him. Where do problems many times begin? It begins in our heart. Is it kind? Is my thought towards that person, are they kind? Because we can grow up in an environment where whenever we hear our parents talk, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Is it kind? And this refrain galled Saul to the point of where now it says that he looked at David with a, he kept a jealous eye on David. He kept a jealous eye on him to do harm toward him. That's really what it means. A jealous eye to do harm towards him is what it means in the Hebrew there. And he's waiting for an opportunity. And here's the thing. Here's the question that you have to ask yourself. What do you do when people throw spears at you? Because this is exactly what's going to happen with David. It goes on in verse 10. And it says, the next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon, upon Saul. And he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I will pin David to the wall. What do you do when people throw spears at you? And, and here's the thing with spears. They often come out of nowhere. We, we're not told, okay, at this time tomorrow, you're going to get some stuff thrown at you. Just, just, just be ready. No. They come without warning, don't they? And what do you do when people throw spears at you? I mean, David, the Saul says what? He says, I'm going to pin him to the wall. What do you do when you're at your workplace and you come up with an amazing idea? You tell one of your coworkers, hey, I got this idea for a you know, plan for this. And he says, what a great idea. 
You walk into a business meeting with your boss and several of the other bosses, and all of a sudden you hear coming out of the mouth of your, of your colleague what it is that you said. And your boss looks at him and says, that's amazing, what a great thought. And your boss looks at you and said, why did you think about that? How come you didn't come up with that? Or you're at work and the HR manager comes up to you and they say to you, they said, uh, I, I, I'm hearing a kind of a nasty rumor um, about you. And he shares it with you and you're like, what? where did that come from? Well, this is the person that, that originated that. And you think, what did I ever do to hurt that person? Families. Families. Your, your ex. He or she says something about you to your kids, and now your kids don't want to have anything to do with you. They lie about something, and then you get charged even more alimony or more child support. You can't stand to go to your in-law's house. Why? Because your father-in-law makes you feel like he just, you're, you're the stupidest person on this earth, and whenever there's an opportunity, he seeks to belittle you. And your mother-in-law, she comes up to you and says, Sweetie, that, that was um, interesting. She said, but in the future, you could probably do better if you did this. And you're thinking, <laughs> I spent two days on this meal. <laughs> and you can say that. And then as you're picking up the dishes to bring them back into the kitchen, you hear your, your mother-in-law talking with her sisters and saying, that daughter-in-law of mine, my son could have done so much better. Look at her. She's going nowhere, and she's dragging my son down with him. Or you go to school. And somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I, I, I hear that your, your dad and your mom are getting a divorce. Your, your, dad, your dad was cheating on your mom, and your, and your mom now is suicidal. So where, 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 where did that come from? Well, I got a private message. Somebody told me this. And you come to find out who it was that shared the message with them, and it's like, what did I ever do to that person? So what do you do? When people throw spears at you. And I mean, there's all the gamut. I know in this room, every single one of us have had spears thrown at us from time to time. Maybe even just recently, correct? So what do you do? Well, in this world, what do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? You yank it out of the wall and you throw it right back at them, right? Growing up as a kid playing hockey on the Rock River down by Watertown. I mean, when, when we played hockey, if you checked me in a cheap way, I'm going to come back and I'm going to check you in an even cheaper way so that you, don't, you remember, don't ever do that to me again. That's what we do, right? It was a great theologian, uh, Leo DeRocher, who said that nice guys finish last. Some of us who aren't as seasoned, uh, Leo DeRocher was a baseball manager. Uh, nice guys finish last. Or we would say, nice guys don't get the sale. Nice guys don't get the girl. Nice guys don't get ahead in life. And so what you're saying, Pastor, doesn't really make a lot of sense, except when we see David's reaction. How did David respond when, he was th when spears were thrown at him? What did he do? He says, he didn't, re he didn't retaliate. He eluded him twice. He, he, he eludes King Saul twice. He chooses not to retaliate. And why, how could he do that? Well, that's the first test. The second test comes when David is now on the run from King Saul. He's on the run, and he's in a place called the, 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 the Caves of En Gedi. It's down toward the southern part of the Dead Sea. And he and his men are hiding out. I mean, they are just a hair's breadth away from death. Saul is pursuing him to destroy him, to kill him. And David and his men are in the back of this cave. And who should come to the front of the cave to relieve himself? King Saul. It's dark in the back. You're coming from the light, and King Saul doesn't see anything in the back. And David's men say, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. 
What do you do when God dumps the person who's hurt you into your lap? And you now have the opportunity to hurt them back. Hmm. David, how are you going to respond to this test now? And David's men says this is an opportunity of a lifetime. It's, then they go on to say uh, in uh, 1 Samuel 24, 3 and 6, it said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. The problem is, where did God say that? He didn't. But David crawls up. He cuts off the corner of Saul's garment. How does he not know that? I, I don't know. But Saul is in David's hands, and, Saul, and David doesn't do anything to him. Later on, as Saul leaves the, leaves the cave, David finally comes out, and he holds the corner of the garment. And he says, see, I, I, I could have harmed you, but I chose not to. And then Saul has the temerity to turn it around and say, I know that one day you're going to be king, and when you are, show mercy. That's an incredible word in the Hebrew. It's the word chesed. And it's a word that's it's not just mercy, it's not just grace, it's faithfulness. He says, show faithfulness to my family. And what do we see David doing? The first thing when he becomes king, he says, is there anyone left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness, chesed, for the sake of Jonathan? David does what Saul would never have done. And how in the world does David not, not, not treat Saul like that? I think there's a couple of reasons. Who did David hang out with? Who, who, did David, who was one of David's best friends? Chapter 18 started out with the guy's name. Jonathan. Jonathan was a class act. Jonathan was not into throwing spears. You want to do a little study? A little geeky study, maybe not this afternoon because you don't want to watch the Vikings, right? Um, do a little geeky study. Put the word Saul and spear together and just do a study and watch how many times Saul has his spear with him. Jonathan's not a spear thrower. How do you keep, how do you, how do you stop from retaliating? How do you change this, this course of action? Who is it you're hanging out with? Who is it that David is hanging out with? He's hanging out with people like Jonathan. Who do you have in your life that you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, I need to talk? Last week I talked about small group. We got big group here on Sunday morning. It's small groups as well. Small groups are a safe place where you can talk, where you can share your heart. But I would encourage you to have a, have a relationship that's even more than that, a smaller group than that, an accountability. Guys, for us especially, Ladies too, but guys especially. To have somebody in your life who put a finger in your chest and say, hey, how are you doing in this area of your life? David had that person in his life. The second thing I, I really believe about David, how does, he not, how does he not retaliate? David understood who Saul was. Who was Saul? I heard it. He was the Lord's anointed. He was the Lord's anointed. And yeah, yeah, David was going to be king. David would be king when? When God decided that it was time for David to be king. See, God had some tools that he was using on David. And God was waiting to see what kind of a heart is David going to have? Is he going to have a heart after King Saul? Or is he going to have my heart? And he uses this. And David understands, this is the Lord's anointed. And I dare not touch him. And what about for us? 
When we see people, when we have the opportunity to retaliate against them, how do we see people? Do we see them just as somebody who's, who's on the attack? Look, at, I think one thing we need to see is that they're not the enemy. Okay? The enemy is the one that seeks to work in and through them. Because the enemy longs to destroy you. He longs to bring division and discord into churches, strife into our marriages. He longs to destroy our kids. The person is not the enemy. It's the, the true enemy who is working behind the scenes is the enemy. How do we see people? We, do we see people as made in the image of God, and therefore they have worth and value in the eyes of God? I remember, well, for, one of us, for some of us, we're struggling, we're saying, you know, Pollyanna, that might work in your world, but that doesn't, Pollyanna, Walt Disney, I said that one, one time too, uh, everything was good in her world. And you may be saying, Pastor, in your world, maybe that's truth, but in my world, that that just doesn't happen. We need to see a cause and effect of this. What happens when we change the way in which we speak? Because some of us have grown up in a home where, you know, maybe your parents were not just a little bigoted, they were really bigoted. And when they saw people of a different color, or of a different nationality, or maybe a different size, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is not something that's good, it's not kind. It's not kind at all. And you grow up and you, you hear that. You see that. And David is a role model to his, to his men of how they should respond. And we too, we're role models to our kids, to our families, to our grandkids of how it is that we should respond. Because our people watching us count on it. And what's the enemy seeking to do? Destroy your integrity. Destroy your character. And David passes the test. Sometimes God uses people in our lives to see where our heart's at. We were first in ministry. I was 26 years old. I graduated from Crown College. I knew it all. If you didn't think, believe me, just ask me. I would have told you. And we started working with the Hmong, the Lao, and the Cambodian people in the San Joaquin Valley in California. And we, did, we taught pastors. Uh, we taught people who were seeking to be pastors. And we worked with 19 churches up and down the San Joaquin Valley. And so we located in the central part in, in Sacramento. And we attended an alliance church there in Sacramento. And well, like I said, I was 26 years old. And they, they decided, well, they would let me have an office space there, which was very kind. But the pastor took it upon himself that he would be my boss. Problem is, I was under the, my, I had a boss at the national headquarters. I had the boss, or the, the superintendent of the Hmong district, the superintendent of the Lao district, the superintendent of the Cambodian district. I also, and the district superintendent of the, of the local American district that was there as well. I didn't need another boss. And I didn't need this guy telling me what to do as well. I had 26 I, I chafed at, at him, always telling me, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. It's like, I got enough to do, I don't need you telling me what it is to do. And so I wasn't a very good example of, a, of a, a good staff person. I wasn't his staff, but anyway, one day they asked me to preach, and somebody said the worst thing about me that they could have. They said, you really did a good job. My head started to get big, and I, I thought, yeah. And so I began to listen to the pastor, and it's like, why did he say it that way? Oh, I wouldn't say it that way. Again, remember, I'm 26, and I know it all. <coughs> and then the, 
Board, sec- board chairman came to me and asked me, you know, if you were pastor, what would you do in this church? I thought, it's about time somebody asked me. And I told her. I told her exactly what I would do. And I was the spear thrower. I didn't, uh, I didn't reap into my lap anything there. But in my first church that I pastored, I reaped back into my lap every last seed of dissension that I'd sown in that church. And it was not fun, and I learned a very valuable lesson. There is a cause and effect to the things that we say. There is a cause and effect. And sometimes the cause and effect is the young ones sitting next to you or the grandkids that are going to come to see you. He, didn't pa- he passed this test. And wait on the next, next fill-in-the-blank. He passed this test, but he's got an even tougher test coming up. God's got another tool. He's a guy by the name of Nabal. Now, Nabal <clears throat> was a very rich farmer, rancher, shepherd. He had a lot of sheep. But as we'll see, Nabal was toxic. And one of the things that we learn about toxic people is hurt people hurt people, don't they? You ever met somebody who's, who's just, just bitter, just angry at the world? You meet them from time to time. They're not fun, are they? I'm like, here, pastor, you go ahead and you, you do something with them. And Nabal's a toxic individual. But David and his men, they, they surround Nabal's uh, ranch, and they take care of his shepherds, they take care of his sheep for a reason. Um, for a reason. Because when sheep shearing time came, David sends his, shepherd, sends his servants down to, to Nabal to say, hey, um, at this time, at this festive time, if you have anything, you find something around to, to give to us, would you give something to my men? You know, just as a way of saying thank you. It was, it was often done. It was an act of kindness because it was sheep shearing time was a festive time. And how does Nabal respond to the kind act that David did? He says, who is this son of Jesse? There are people leaving their servants every day. Why should I take from what I have and give to this this man David? He rebuffs him. And David says, strap on your swords and be it far from me if there's anybody who's left by nightfall. They are as good as dead. David's on his way. How did David react this time to the spears being thrown at him? Not well. And and let's be honest. There are times where we don't always respond well. I mean, somebody does something to us, and if we're not careful, our first response is not a good response. And David's response, his first response was not a good response, but praise the Lord that Nabal had a good wife. How many of us have kicked beyond our coverage with our wives? Yeah, done done well. And Nabal had a, a godly wife, a wise wife. Servant comes to to Abigail and says to him, Our master has made us a stench in the nostril of David, and his men are coming, and they are coming to wipe us out. Abigail, being the smart woman that she is, knows that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach. She brings all this food out, and she goes out to meet David, and she bows down before him, and she she basically speaks wisdom into him. But what she said at the end is so important. In 1 Samuel 25, 30 and 31, she says, When the Lord has done for my master every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, 
My master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. She speaks wisdom into his heart. Who do we have speaking wisdom into our lives? And when we have those situations where spears are being thrown at us, rather than react, is there somebody that we can talk to? Can we take this to the Lord? We absolutely can. The question is, will we? And God's the one. God's the one who said, vengeance is mine. I'll repay. Does God take care of Nabal? He does. When Abigail goes to him when he's sobered up and tells him what he's done, basically he had a stroke. And he dies in 10 days. And you think about this. I mean, David didn't respond there, but there was somebody speaking into his life. This is why I say big group, small group, accountability group. Men, do you have somebody like that? Pray about that. Find somebody. Call, you know, pull somebody aside and say, hey, I, just, I see there's wisdom in you. Can, can we begin to meet? Can we begin to have coffee? Because I guarantee you, we can throw this aside to the side. And do nothing with this. But when you have somebody in your life speaking wisdom into your life, you're not going to make some of the mistakes that we make, right? Because nobody can make you. Nobody can make you unkind. Slide number three. Nobody can make you unkind or unloving or disrespectful. We make a choice of how it is we'll respond. We make a choice of how it is we'll respond. So I'm in California, and I was working as a police chaplain in California. And I was mowing lawn, and my kids would play in the front yard with all the other kids. They'd play street hockey. And, and I, I was shutting down the lawnmower, and I see Becca come through the gate, and her eyes are like this. And she said, uh, you need to come out here. And when I shut the mower off, I could hear the, the yelling going on. My neighbor, my neighbor was just unglued. He just totally unglued at, at my kids. And I came up to him. I said, Daryl, 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 Daryl. said, what is the, what is, what's the problem here? And he could hardly talk. He was, so, he was so upset. And he said, those kids, what happened is one of my kids had thrown the ball over the top of his younger son's head. Okay, and, and, I, and I'm trying to get all of this information out of him. You know, trying to hear, well, what's the, what's the problem? In? And I said, well, who? Who did this? Kids are running around. And he says, that one over there looking stupid. That one was my son. And I said, Daryl, I said, you don't need to talk like that. And now I hear more yelling over here, and, I, and he's yelling in my ear, and I went like this. And the next thing I feel is a fist coming across my jaw. And it's like, what the heck just happened here? He'd slugged me in the jaw. And so then I, I thought, oh, I told Beck and the kids, I said, all right, everybody, back to the house. He goes, no, you get back here. And he said, you finish this right now. And I walked back to the house, and I called my sergeant. And I said, uh, Sergeant, I said, uh, I've just been uh, slugged in the jaw by the neighbor. I said, what, what, what do I do here? And he said, uh, Chaplain, you didn't hit him back, did you? And I said, no. I said, I didn't hit him back. And he goes, oh, good, oh, good. He, goes, he said, we'll send an officer over there. His two sister cities. He said, we'll send an officer over to your house. So send an officer over and from the sister um, department. And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, just put the fear of God into him. I said, I don't want charge, press charges. So he went over next door and put the fear of God into him. What I didn't realize at that moment, I knew his wife worked for the jail somehow. She was the booking clerk. She was the one, you who work in the police department, she's the one who would have booked him in. The police officer read him the riot act, but he got the riot act when mama got home. Because she's like, what on earth are you thinking? She says, I would have been the one to book you in. 
know, everything in my inclination years earlier would have been to just slug this guy back, especially he's one of my wife, one of my kids, not to walk away from it. Nobody makes you disrespectful. Nobody makes you unloving or unkind. You make that choice. Hurt people hurt people. Sometimes people strike out at us. They strike out because they're hurting. And oftentimes the, the presenting issue is not the real issue, is it? As people hit us or people do stuff to us. There's one more tool in, in God's toolbox for David. And it's a guy by the name of Shimei. This is 2 Samuel 16. In 2 Samuel 16, David is far into his, his reign. His family's a mess. His family is, is just a big mess. Absalom, his son, wants the throne, and he's out to, out to kill David. David and his house, they, they leave, they flee the city. And as they're fleeing, they're met by a guy by the name of Shimei. And Shimei is from the tribe of Benjamin. Who else do we know is from the tribe of Benjamin? It's King Saul. And Shammai is up here, and David and his men are down here, and Shammai is throwing stones and dirt at him. And Abishai, Joab's cousin, Joab and Abishai are cousins of David. He says, want me to go down there and cut his head off? For some of us, that's how we deal when spears are thrown at us. We, All right, let me go down there and cut his head off. And David says something. He says, My son who is my own flesh is trying to take my life. How much more than this Benjamite? Leave him alone. Let him curse me for the Lord has told him to. Or sometimes the translation is, the Lord has, the Lord has allowed this. Does God sometimes use a bigger tool in our lives to get our attention? How are you going to respond? And David, again, how does he respond? He doesn't give him what he deserves. And David passes the test. And God sees in David what he's been looking for. He's looking for a man after his own heart. He doesn't see the heart of Saul in him. Now, did David always do the right thing? No, we know that, and we will know that later. But kindness... Kindness begins in the heart, doesn't it? It says in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, it says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, that's why this whole series we're looking at, it's not just what comes out of our mouth, it's what's in our heart. It's what in our, it's in our mind. That's where it begins. This is where kindness begins. And you're saying, Pastor, you don't understand, you don't live in the real world. This is not possible. The last words that Jesus, or the first words that Jesus says on the cross are what? You're saying, hold it. That's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. And neither are you. I get that. But while Jesus walked on this earth fully God, fully man, he relied on the same Holy Spirit to direct and to lead and to empower him that we have. The very same. And what's the first words out of Jesus' mouth? And it's in, the, it's in the, uh, a tense that says he kept on saying it. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And that's hard. It's hard as well. It says, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called that you may inherit a blessing. 
kindness kind of starts in the heart. And God often uses tools. He often uses people in our lives to hone on that. In, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness is one of those things that God is seeking to do in and through us. And we can ignore the tools of God, but God's toolbox is pretty big. He just keeps going back to the toolbox and pulls out another tool. He doesn't stop. He's seeking to produce kindness in us. Why? More than that a second. Kindness, where we see one other place where it's mentioned. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient, love is kind. You know, of all the things that Paul could have started out with when he said that love is, he starts out with patient. Why? I'm not done yet. Why? <laughs> because if you're not patient, you won't be kind. I perform marriage ceremonies for, for young couples and they look at one another, and there's stars in their eyes. And after about eight weeks, they realize it's sand. You know, and they, it's like, oh, <laughs> look at this guy, laying on the couch, going nowhere, and he's taking me with him. And it's just like, and if he leaves that toilet seat up one more time, I swear, and that thing that he does with clearing his throat, <laughs> I don't know, he said, and that snoring. I feel like putting a sock in his mouth at night. I just can't stand that. I told her. I don't like onions. How much, how do I have to say that any clearer? And she puts onions in the meatloaf. She puts onions in this and onions in that. I hate onions. And, that, and why she always got to be calling her mom and she's always looking at her phone and all this. And you realize very quickly if you don't have patience, you won't be kind either. Do we need patience in the church? Let me say that again a little. Do we need patience in the church? Yeah, because if we're not patient, our nose is going to get bent out of shape just like that. We're going to get slighted just like that. And then we start throwing spears. Doing kindness in our marriages? Oh, boy. Yeah. And some of us may need today to go back and say to someone, say to your loved one. Um, you know, I was a bonehead and I didn't respond to you very kindly. Would you forgive me? After she picks herself up off the floor, um, she may forgive you. I hope she does. But it begins with words of kindness, words seeking to be kind. And there's another reason with kindness. Kindness. Kindness leaves the door open for further conversation. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I need to hear that one as much as anyone. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So I move into this new neighborhood in, in Minnesota. We lived out in the country. And uh, across the street from us was a hay field. And the hay field, and in Montana they call it the borrow pit, the, you know, the, just the ditch 
that nobody belonged to nobody. Well, I noticed shortly after we moved there that this guy and his son would drive there riding lawnmowers down the, down the road, and they would cut the, cut the barrel pit. And it'd take them half an hour, 45 minutes. And the one day, I, I, I looked over there, and oh, they hadn't done the trimming around the, around the telephone pole, around the, any of the other um, signs that were out there. And being a good German, you got everything you have to do, you have to have it, everything's nice and tidy. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll help out. I'll do my part in the neighborhood. So I took my weed whacker out there, and I whacked around the, around the uh, telephone pole. And okay, yeah, it felt pretty good. Yeah, it helped out the neighborhood here. So I'm mowing lawn, and I see him drive down, and he goes like this with, with his lawnmower. So I came over there. I put my hand out. Hi, my name is Joel. And he says, did you cut around the, the telephone pole? I've still got my hand out here. And I said, yeah. And he said, don't ever do that again. I thought he was kidding. I realized very quickly he was not kidding. And he said, I don't put my hands into your offering plate. You don't put your hands into my pocket. Now, I know he wasn't paid for cutting the borrow pit. I don't know where this came from. But he was, again, a bitter man, a harsh man. And my answer to him was, okay, you have a good day. And I walked away and I'm thinking, I said to Becca, I said, wow, did I just ever have a conversation? And, and sometimes your kindness, you think, okay, I'll leave the door open for a further conversation. Sometimes that day may never come. This guy, we shared the driveway with, with our neighbor who lived just, just a little ways, maybe four quarter of a mile down the road yet. We shared driveway with them. And so he was the guy who plowed the driveway. And whenever I would get out there to blow snow, I'd see his truck pull up. And he would watch me to make sure I wasn't putting any snow on what it was that he'd already plowed. His truck was in the ditch. One day he was plowing and his truck was in the ditch and I took the shovel out there and I said, Don, I'll help you out. Nope, I don't need your help. Don't need your help. My beautiful red-headed daughter who goes and picks raspberries, she sees him over there cutting grass. She says, Daddy, I'll, I'll bring raspberries over to Mr. Gotsman. Nope, nope, don't want your... Some people will never... They're just, they're just plain angry. And you still continue to pray for them. Because they didn't get angry overnight. Someone hurt them. Hurt people hurt people. And that's my question when I meet somebody like this. So who hurt them? Kindness leaves the door open for further communication. So this week, I was watching a, a documentary. on. And before you go, you're, you're, I'm going to name the company, and you're going to say, oh, I had terrible service there. Okay? Just cool your jets for a second. The place is Quick Trip. I was watching a, a documentary on Quick Trip, of all things. Don Zietlow, you know, Wisconsin, you know, boy, boy done well. Um, I'm very impressed. I mean, you go, you look around. You can't, you can't look around hardly any place without seeing a Quick Trip. Cross the street from one another. <coughs> but Don Zietlow has two main focuses. One is on the customers, and one is on his employees. And one of the things with his, with his customers is, he said, I always want to be kind. If you ever go into one, what's the word that they say, that it says above there? We'll see you next time. We'll see you, or we'll see you later. And one of the, one of the heads of, of Quick Trip was talking about an encounter that one of his managers had had. A lady came into the store and said, 
you guys pride yourself on fresh milk. And they do. I mean, they have dairies. Quick Trip has their own dairies. And they seek to turn around, the turnaround time from the time that they get the milk to when it's put on the shelf, they try to do it within 24 to 36 hours. They really push hard for that. And so the lady said, you push for, for freshness in your, in your milk products? She said, smell this. And he's like, woo. Well, that, that, yeah. And she said, look at the date. And he said, obviously, this is wrong. Hey, tell you what. You go back to the milk counter. I see you've got a half gallon. You get two half gallons. And he said, you bring them up here. While he's doing that, he tells the, the store manager, give, or the lady at the cashier, give, him a, give her a $10 gift certificate as well. She does. She leaves the store happy you know, that she's been treated so well. Supper time that night, she pours some milk for her husband. Her husband's eating away, and she said, I went to Quick Trip today, and she said, I took back that milk that was no good. And she said, they gave me two half gallons and a $10 gift certificate on top of that. He goes, Quick Trip? Quick Trip? I didn't get that milk at Quick Trip. Why'd you, why'd you take it back there? Yeah. And it left the door open for further conversation. We never know what we're going to experience in a day. The spheres come from out of nowhere. But can we prepare? We can. Proverbs 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When we start our day, can we start this way? Lord, I don't know what's going to come my way today. I don't know if there's going to be somebody who's going to, you know, you know, you know, cut me off on the road. I don't know if I'm going to meet somebody who's belligerent. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to get an employee that's had a fight with his wife and takes it out on me. I don't know what it is that I'm going to encounter. But God, would you today, as you're using the tools... Would you today allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be pleasing in your sight? Is it true? Is it kind? And next week, is it necessary? While it may be true, while it may be kind, are you the one to bring the word? Figured out yet? It is a hive opener for you. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Some of you who are beehive people. It's to open hives. It's what my wife used when she was a beekeeper. So there you know. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. And God, this is a tough one. Man, last week was tough. Because this world, when somebody throws a spirit at us, we throw it right back. And we maybe throw two for good measure. But God, you wouldn't have talked about kindness. You wouldn't have modeled kindness through your son were it not for the fact that, God, this is something you desire. And you said it's something you desire because you said this is a work of the Spirit that is seeking to be done in and through us. And God, I'm right here with the rest of the congregation. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. 
God, for some of us, we got spears not too long ago. And they don't feel good. And it's hard not to retaliate. But God, would you change the way in which we look at people? Would you change the way in which we respond? Because, Lord, for some of us, there are little ones sitting next to us who will model the way in which we respond. And, God, you are calling us to have your heart. God, this is only something you can do in us. But I pray that, Lord, we would be willing to allow you to have your way in our lives and to move in our hearts the way you desire. God, would you bless your word as it continues to speak to our heart throughout this week. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You are precious in the sight of God. You are loved by Him. You've been chosen by Him. And He is the one who cares for you. I pray as you go out in this week that the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart would be pleasing in His sight. To the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.